Welcome to Church 213. We pray that the message today is a clear picture of who Christ wants to be in your life. We trust God for a miracle in the next few minutes. Thanks for listening. Amen and amen. All God's people said, amen. That's a wonderful prayer right there. Uh, I plea and a cry from our maker of heaven and earth. God, prepare in us for something great to happen. And um, I love it the way the praise team set comes together with the message. Sometimes we chat, sometimes we don't, sometimes we plan, sometimes we just let it be organic. And this is one of those weeks because in our Be The One series, this morning we're talking about spiritual maturity, taking us deeper. And so right there, you can tell that God is serious about that message because the truth that we're going to unpack here is the same truth that we just sang about. You can't, that is, there, is no, there are no small coincidences with God. He is creator. And so this is evidence. I'm excited. I don't know. You can tell. I'm excited because I have just seen God put two truths together for life change this morning. Amen? Can't make this stuff up. So uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. Um, hopefully you picked up a sermon guide when you came in. But this is week six, be the one in 2021 who boots the binky. Week six, February 7th, which means next week, fellas, Valentine's Day. So uh, this is your advance notice. So if you haven't made plans, you need to begin kind of thinking about that. Feel that love tank, happy wife, happy life. So we're going to be in Hebrews 5 this morning. When I was a kid, uh, my dad owned the convenience store. And I had this back storage room that I would have to go to when I was in trouble. I was in that back room a lot. And if, see, if there were customers in the store, he'd simply say, uh, Ryan, you need to go to the back room. And I knew what that meant. That meant you need to go sit on that back room bucket until the customers left and wait for fatherly correction. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? It basically meant my backside was going to be sore. And those words, I dreaded those words. I dreaded to hear those words. Go to the back room. Whew. I can feel them now. But now looking back, really what that meant was that back room bucket was evidence that my dad wanted more from me as my father. But my immaturity... My immaturity kept me alone and afraid <laughs> a lot. And so now, as a dad of three humans myself, two of which are young, I make a big deal out of those small accomplishments. Parents, you know, you know, it's, it's, why, we, it's why we cheer. It's why I cheer when I taught Sadie to tie her shoe. That is a game changer for parents. You know, when you transition out of the Velcro days and you go to the tie shoe, there's always a gap there between Velcro and I don't have a clue what I'm doing, so Daddy tie my shoes constantly. Okay, that's a game changer. And then there's Emma. I love you, Emma. Emma, watch her get excited about memorizing Scripture. It just makes my heart full because I know that as she hides God's Word in her heart, it will lead her to a greater maturity. And then there's Parker, who likes to talk about personal finance, which I love that, because as soon as I can get him off of my payroll, <laughs> can I get a witness? The better it's going to be for me and Mama, okay? And so getting ready without help, reading our Bible without help, paying bills without help, they're small things that I celebrate as their father because I don't want them to have a pacifier, the binky, clipped to their shirt forever. I want him to boot the binky because I know that their maturity will lead to a greater opportunity. And so, write this down. It's on your notes. God wants to take us from backroom basics to front counter faith. God wants to take us from backroom basics to front counter faith. 
So I've already told you we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5. So if you are there and you're willing, let's stand in honor of God's word this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he is also clothed with weakness. Verse 3. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. Also, it says in another place, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Verse 8, although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he had suffered. And after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to to that order we have a great deal to say about this and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand and although by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again you need milk not solid food now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced because the message about righteousness because he is an infant verse 14 but solid food is for the mature. It's for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Let's pray over this. God, we give you these words this morning. They are your words, eternal truth, instructions for our lives. Lord, so allow these words to split us to the core, get inside the marrow of our bones, and lead us to life change as we grow in maturity and the knowledge of who you are. God, you want to call us out onto the waves, out of the boat. Call us deeper where our faith would be made stronger in your presence. So God, I pray this morning that we would be encouraged through your word to take that step of spiritual maturity. Take our faith to the next level. Allow us to go all in for your cause this morning. God, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to lift your name on high, to sit and soak and marinate in the goodness of your word. God, we're expecting you for a miracle this morning in the life of us, your people. God, thank you for loving us, for dying for us, for using us, for equipping us through your word. God, may it have its way in our lives this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Hebrews is a very difficult book. It's a lot of Old Testament themes with New Testament implications. You guys would agree that time is the greatest of gifts. Amen? Time is precious. I mean, it's like a vapor. It's here, it's here and it's gone. And it's far too precious to kind of sit in the back room with our life. It's, it's far too precious to stay in baby mode. And that's the theme of the text right here. See, the writer of Hebrews, he's coming down pretty hard on, on these Jews because they refused to step forward in their faith because of what that required them to kind of step away from. I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for you. They were Jews on the verge of Christianity, but they were very comfortable with the Old Testament sacrificial system, the way the temple worked, the way the sacrifice, I mean, it's what they had always done. You know, if you do what you always have done, you'll what? You get what you always have gotten. And so this sacrificial system was something they were very comfortable with, the role of the priest. That's why Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews 5 is unpacking the, 
the role of the priest. They were very comfortable in the way the priest would handle their spiritual matters for the nation. And the issue was they were unwilling to step away from that comfort and into, the, into a place where they would completely put their trust in the work of Jesus. And they were teetering. They were teetering on the, on the, the, the ver under Roman persecution on the edge of full surrender to Christ. And they were considering bailing out for something easier. They were considering bailing out for something that was more comfortable. They were considering bailing out on something that was really familiar. They were teetering on the edge of the boat. Like, what, what am I going to do here? Which way am I going to go? They were teetering on either stepping out in the work of Christ or staying in the boat that was comfortable with temple worship. They were contemplating, this is the key, they were contemplating whether following Jesus was worth the effort. There was a struggle. There was a struggle of maturity. There was a struggle to mature faith. They were struggling to think, is this worth it? And the, writers of, the writer of Hebrews is cheering them on with a resounding, yes. Yes, it's worth it. Keep on going. Don't turn back. Take that next step. Get out of the back room. Jesus is worth the work. Some things aren't worth the work. Some things you count the cost and like, mm, that ain't worth it. But he's saying this is worth it. So the call here in Hebrews 5 is our call today. One, give your life to Jesus. Amen? And two, work for his good purposes and press on in maturity in that work. God is interested in working in your life, but it takes maturity. It takes intentionality. It takes effort. And more importantly, it takes a desire to want to grow. You know, a great prayer to pray is, God, change my palate, change my appetite. Help it create in me a new heart, is what David said. And so for us, for we. What are we, weeks, week six? I want us to be the one in 2021 who boots the binky. Boot the binky. Be the one in 21 who boots the binky. There was this daddy's talking to his son, and he's like, son, you need to get a job. Son's like, well, why? He said, so you can earn some money. Son's like, why? He's like, well, so you can put some money in the bank. He's like, why? He's like, well, when you put money in the bank, it earns interest. Like, well, why? He said, because when you get older, you'll have enough money and you won't have to work anymore. The son's like, I'm not working now. What's the deal? I'm not, why do I need to mature? Why do I have to grow? So the question for us is, how do we boot that spiritual binky? Well, it's simple. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do taste test how good God is and what you'll find is that pacifier that used to be a comfort to you a temporary comfort you'll find it no longer does it for you it no longer nourishes your life because you have tasted and you have seen something that's not fake now pacifier you don't have to replace it unless they lose it you know why because it's made of non-living material. It's plastic. It's a trick. So write this down. God's plan for you is to know more so that you can grow more, so that you can go more. That's God's will for our life. Amen? So if you want to boot the binky, and I know you do, that's why you're here. And if you weren't interested in your spiritual life, you wouldn't have got up this morning and put in the effort to be here and worship the Lord in spirit and truth with His people. I know you want to. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some high-quality spiritual ground this morning. I want to give you some meat. I want to give you some things that you can take in as you move your faith forward in maturity. You with me? Say, I am. That's where we're headed. So let's look at some things. Let's look at some things. Um, three specifically. The first thing we're going to see is out of verses 1 through 8. So let's dig back in. Hebrews 5, 1 through 8. 
It says, for every high priest, and remember, you know, the writer's going back to the Old Testament. There's a lot of Old Testament themes here because the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. So it's important that we spend some time there. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron, Moses' brother, was in the same way. Christ did not exalt him to become high priest. But God is the one that said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to Melchizedek which is a shadow of Jesus as a perfect priest in the Old Testament in Genesis. Verse 7, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears for the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he had suffered. And so the first thing you know is this. You need to know to grow in maturity, to boot the binky, you need to know how much Christ cares. You need to know that Christ cares. That's number one on your notes. Know that Christ cares. See, here's the deal with the priest. Israel's high priest acted as a mediator between God and the people. And as the text just said, he, he was chosen exclusively by the Lord to offer different types of animals and grain sacrifices as a payment of sin for the people. So think about it like this. Think about a car salesman like the go-between of you and the sales manager. Have you ever went into a dealership to buy a car? Like you make an offer and what do they do? They write it down and they have to take it to the office. And they take it into the sales office, right? I'm not sure what goes on back there, but it's never in my favor. And they come back out and then you have to renegotiate. And so that the priest is that mediator in between. But given that the high priest was also, as the text says, clothed with weakness, which means he was a sinner himself, he had to offer sacrifices first for him and his family before he could offer them for the nation. And so because of that, because of his need, he could sympathize with those that he is taking the offering to the Lord for. He himself could be completely dependent on God because of his own sin. Write this down. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's our core. That's our nature. And so because of our sin nature, and it's because, because that sin nature is so easily bent towards selfishness, you guys know from time to time it's hard to relate to someone that has a need because you're kind of stuck on yourself. It's easy for you to be concerned with your own well-being. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave his son the last and the final and the superior and the most sympathetic high priest in Jesus. Clothed in humanity yet free of sin. That's good news. Right there. That's the gospel. That, that's, that's, uh, that's something that you want to share. Because the importance for us is we have a sympathetic high priest that can relate to what we've gone to because in Jesus, in his humanity, there's a connection there. We don't have to have you know, someone to go into the back office that there themselves has gone through that process because Jesus is that perfect mediator. Which means for us, no matter what load we bear, no matter what pain we share, Jesus is able to understand completely, and this is the key, unhindered by his own sin so he can carry our burdens to the Father while we wait for heaven. It's a perfect, sympathetic Savior. We don't have to worry if, if he's thinking about himself first. We don't have to worry that he's, in, that he's having to make um, 
sacrifices for himself before he thinks about us. Because that would be on my mind as the, you know, as the priest was going to the temple. You know, what is he doing? Hurry up. Are you going to do this for me or you got to cover yourself? What are we doing here? But Jesus, because of his perfection in humanity, is able to immediately take our burdens unhindered to the Father. And so the priest would be in agony. He, he, would be, he would be weighed down because of the weight of the sin that he was about to take before God. The, the, what, the, what, he was, what he was tasked with doing, the job that he had, it would almost break the soul. Have you ever carried the weight of responsibility? Have you ever carried bad news to somebody that you knew didn't want to hear it? Usually say things like this, don't shoot the messenger, right? You know, that, just that feeling, that heaviness that you're carrying, knowing that you're about to deliver something. Imagine taking the nation's sins to the, uh, to, to, to the righteous father. Put yourself in the role of the priest. It would be agonizing, wouldn't it? Well, here's the beautiful thing. The Bible tells us that Jesus, on the night that he went to the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was under such agony was under such weight the Bible says that it was like he sweat drops of great blood because of me and you about because of what he was carrying to the father his heart was broken at the prospect of carrying our sins to the father we have a high priest in Christ Jesus that can relate with us he cried he hurt he grieved for us as our high priest that's what the writer is talking about right here. He's encouraging those Jews. You need to get a grip. You need to get a hold that we have a Savior who cares for us unlike anything else. And see, what Jesus had known in his omniscience, because he was God, the flesh, he, he, he knew it, but he had to experience it in human form. And the reason is, he couldn't be fully sympathetic as high priest, as the go-between, had he not experienced what we experienced and felt what we felt. He walked the earth for us. Chew on that. Christ cares. And so what I hope that does for us is it encourages us. It's time to move on, folks, in, in maturity. It's, fine. it's time to move on in maturity if you claim Christianity and know that Jesus loves you at the very deepest level. We're on the top of the list for us. Jesus cares for us. God cares. So, so we can lay our cares in his hands. We can put our hands in his hands. But there's another entree I want you to chew on this morning. As you boot the binky, you with me? Say, uh-huh. As you boot the binky, God cares, absolutely. Not only is, though, is Jesus the final sympathetic high priest, but he was able to make the final sacrifice. Remember, the priest's responsibility was to make that sacrifice, to take it to the Father. So you need to know this, number two. You need to know what Christ did. Yeah, you need to know that he cares. But you need to know what he did. That's in verse 9 through 10. Now, 9 and 10, it says this. It says, after he was perfected, which, was, which basically just means approved as the, a pure sacrifice before the Father. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of of Melchizedek. See, Old Testament sacrifice of animals, it had to be repeated every year. Sometimes, any time you came to the temple, imagine if you had to bring a chicken in here every week and kill it right here. There'd be feathers everywhere. Okay? You'd probably like cover your, the faces of your children. You probably wouldn't come to church here. Okay? I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. But that had to be repeated over and over and over by the high priest because the priest couldn't offer himself as payment. He was the mediator. He wasn't personally acceptable before God. You with me? And so in his own suffering, 
though, Jesus accomplished the final requirement to be final high priest. He was completely qualified. And so the payment for you and me was made by Jesus. Not only was he the high priest that went to make the sacrifice, but he crawled up on the table, right? He, he took the cross for us. And so what that means is past, current, and every sin you'll ever commit, the, the standard that you miss, miss was paid for. It is paid for. It's erased from the record. Hallelujah. That's worthy of worship right there. See, an earthly priest could only, um, could only provide temporary substitutionary forgiveness, like over and over. It was just, you know, those animal sacrifices could only get this. It could only delay judgment, but it couldn't remove it from the record. And so on the yearly day of atonement to symbolize forgiveness for sin, priests needed to go through this cleansing ceremony, and it required two goats. All right, I know when I said goat, everybody perked up. Like, oh, we're talking about goats. Not really. It required two goats. Now, here's the deal. One goat, the priest would put his hand on the goat's head to symbolize that guilt was being transferred from the sinner to the goat, and he would take that goat's life. That one animal died as payment. So that justice will be temporary, temporarily delayed. And after the death of the first goat, the second goat that was, that was kept alive it would be, is called the scapegoat. Some of you guys have heard that terminology before. It's called the scapegoat. And it was ceremoniously cleansed and, cleansed and made holy. And that blood of that first goat will be applied and be poured on that second goat. And then that second goat that had the blood that was transferred from the first goat onto himself would be taken deep into the wilderness and it will be set free never to be seen again. You see where this is going? See, this symbolized the complete removal of sin from view, from memory, and from consciousness. Out of sight. What is it? Out of sight, out of mind. See, but without the scapegoat, the sin of that man or that sin of that woman or sin of that family or that teenager, it was covered for now, but they would still be gripped by the guilt of what they had done. Think about it like this. Think, think about it like a criminal. You know, a person commits a crime and there's justice. Maybe it's through fines, right? Maybe it's through jail time. But the record of the, of the crime remains on the books. It's, it's still there. A criminal's name is permanently tainted from society. Yeah, you may have, you may have paid, done the time for the crime, but you still feel that those eyes looking at you, right? And so what happens is you might have this forgiveness of what you've done after the state's judgment has been served, but that sentence does nothing to heal the pain of the victim's. Or let alone cleanse the conscience of the criminal. You still think about it. It's still there. So what is needed to completely remove a crime from the books of the criminal? It has to be completely wiped away. It has to be wiped off the books. It has to be, it has to be made to disappear like it never even happen amen that's true freedom that's forgiveness that's peace that's rest that's what causes someone to sleep real good at night and see the blood of the cross it transferred our sins but it didn't end there hallelujah because three days later jesus walked out away from the tomb and 40 days later he ascended back to the father never to be seen what again he left us his spirit He's gone. That's the hope of the resurrection. The scapegoat. The one that removed our sin is gone. And now we have a promise that our sins are transferred. But listen church, it's not just that. Not only is it transferred, but it's forgiven and it's forgotten forever. Amen? Come on. That's the gospel. And so in one last act, one last 
final sacrifice, Jesus Christ perfect, perfectly wiped clean forever the record of the believer. Woo! So if you've placed your faith in Christ, you ought to sleep like a fat baby tonight. Knowing that your record is completely clean in the eyes of the Father. God isn't angry at you. God's not mad at you. You don't have to cower in fear. You don't have to sit on the bucket in the back room. You can move on toward maturity. Knowing that he cares and knowing what he did. I don't want you to take my word for it. Scripture talks about it. Psalms 103 verse 12 says this. As far as the east is from the west. How, is far, how far as the east is from the west? It's, it's, it's there. There's no distance. It just goes around and around. It's infinite. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah. It also says in Hebrews 9.14, it says this. It says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who though the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God? How much more? It's eternal. We're cleansed from our conscience from dead works. So the question I asked myself working through this text was, why in the world were these Hebrews tempted to go back into the rut of religious law? Was well, this, they weren't growing in maturity, knowing that God cares, and knowing what God did through Christ. They were stuck. So to be the one in 2021 who boots the spiritual binky, how do we get unstuck? How do we lock the lugs of our faith? How do we dig down? How do we boot the binky? How do we go all in? Well, we have to know that Christ cares. We have to know what Christ did. These are mature themes that we have to, as a believer, you have to cut your teeth on and build your lives on. These things right here. But we get held back. And so he points out some things in verse 11 through, verses 11 through 14. He points out some things that are holding these people back from going all in. And we're going to unpack it right here. So number three, you've got to know what holds you back. Yeah, you've got to know that God cares. You absolutely have to know what Christ did. But you also have to be mature enough to know what's holding you back. Look at verse 11. The writer says, we have a great deal to say about this. About what? About the things that we just talked about. About what Christ did through the order of a high priest. The perfect high priest. We have a lot more to say about this. And it's difficult to explain. I'm not going to lie to you. To dig deep in God's word and these truths, it can be difficult. It takes a lot of intentionality. And that's what he's saying. We have a great deal to say about this. And it's difficult to explain. But why is it difficult to explain? Why aren't you getting this? Why can't we take you deeper? Well, since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time, you ought to be teachers. And you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. Again, you need milk, not solid food. And now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. You want to know why so many believers feel stuck in the mud of life in the back room? It's because their faith is a shallow, a shallow label in a lot of situations. It's a shallow label and their spiritual soil is not deep enough to promote any growth. It's shallow. And that's the message of the text right here. There were things that were holding them back from booting the binky. And it's this. Number, uh, I'm going to say number A. Is this. They were lazy to understand. You've got to know what's holding you back. And the writer saying, what's holding you back? Is you're lazy to understand. 
That's what verse 11 says. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. That's the turning verse for them. I mean, he's just calling them out. And that's the turning verse for us, too. And I get it. It's in your face. Maybe I'm on your toes a little bit. But I'm going to give you this commitment as your pastor. I'll never be on your toes without letting the, the, the word first get all over mine. Okay? It's in your face. He just smacked them right there. Not with a backhand because we talked about that like four weeks ago. But like a front hand, okay? And God wanted to take them deeper in knowing him. He wanted to, but he can't because they've not readied themselves in the small things. They become dull and they become sluggish and they become numb. That's the, that's the translation right here, lazy to hear. That's what it means. It means these people had become dull of hearing. They were being unfazed by the message of Jesus. You get that? Dull of hearing. They were unfazed. They were drifting away from truth. And they were forfeiting opportunity to go all in. And they were stuck in the back room. And for us, what we need to know is if, if we are slow to act on God's truth, we become hardened to it. And we become less, and catch this, we become less and less likely to benefit from it. So if you're avoid, if you, if you constantly avoid taking your, deep, your, your faith deeper, and you are satisfied with the basics, you'll become insulated from God moving in your life. That is a dangerous place to be, right? It's just to be callous to it, callous to it. So dullness here in this context means, catch this, being uninterested in being pushed to grow. That's what it's talking about. Uninterested. Like, I don't care to go. I just want to sit, and I just want to have this callous. I just want to stick to the basics. And you know as well as I do, if a kid is uninterested in being challenged, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no positive reinforcement that you can do to kickstart it if on the inside there's just no interest. I was coaching a rec uh, baseball team years ago. And before the season, all the, all the kids that would register into the league, uh, we would put their names on a list and we would, we would have a coaches meeting and we would go through and we would pick teams. Round robin style. Um, and what I would do is from time to time, I would look for someone on the list that I just had a heart for. And that I could try to get them to take that next level. Because I knew the value that sports had. Basically, <clears throat> they were awful athletically. And I knew that going in. They weren't going to bring value to the team. But I knew that there was value on being a part of the team. So I would draft them on my team and try to spur them on. Because I knew they needed to be part of something bigger than themselves. So I drafted this little guy one time. Okay. And, and I knew that, um, that it was going to take some worry. It was going to be a challenge. And this kid, his nickname was, uh, was Z. And, uh, and so... We worked for a couple of weeks with Z, and, and uh, you know, he was on the lineup, and I'm in the dugout. You know, I'm looking through the lineup, and, and I know that Z's coming up. You know, you're, you're at the plate, you're on deck, and you're in the hole, right? Okay, so Z was in the hole, so I'm ready, and it's Z's turn to take his position in the batter's box. And I had been pushing Z, and Z, he moved slow. You know, he was very unmotivated, but I thought we were making progress. And so Z's time is, 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 is his turn to bat, and I look up into the batter's box, and there's no Z. So I look on the on deck, thinking that we had got the lineup confused. He's not on deck. I look in the dugout. So I'm coaching third. I've got the list. So, you know. so I look in the dugout, and Z's not in the dugout. I'm like, where? I'm missing a player. I know he was here. And I begin to kind of look outside the realm of the fence, and I scan the crowd. I'm like, where is he? You know, maybe he's hurt. Maybe, he's, you know, he's getting a Band-Aid. And I look down toward the snack shack. Now, the snack shack at that time, it was on the, it was on the other side of the property. It was on by the, another field. And I look down in the middle of our game. He should be at the plate. And I look down toward the snack shack, and Z 
is standing at the window with a whole bowl of chili cheese fries. And so I yell this. I'm like, Zing! He, and so he turns, he looks at me. He's like, what's up, coach? I said, it's your turn to bat. And this is what he said. I'll get you next time. <laughs> I'll catch you next time. Here's the point of that. Don't leave this place thinking, Pastor, I'll catch you next time. Don't, don't, don't fail to step up to the plate. Don't say, I'll catch you next time. I'll be ready to swing for the fences next time. I'll be ready to make that decision next Sunday. Don't do that. It's dangerous. You know why it's dangerous? Because we aren't guaranteed that our hearts will be prepared to respond next Sunday. We might, we might forfeit the opportunity and God might harden our hearts so we can't hear His voice. Man, that breaks my heart to think about. To think about, it scares me to know that a person might become too dull to hear God's voice next time. So what I want you to know is this. Stay close to the field. Stay in the game, baby. Stay right here so when the coach calls your name, you're ready. You're equipped and you're ready and you're sharp and you're prepared to make a difference because you're not at the snack shack eating what's comfortable and it's going to clog your arteries and send you to Piedmont, Alaska. <laughs> Write this down. Being satisfied with being dull will eventually lead to sin and the death of what God has planned for us here on earth. Don't be lazy to understand. Let's move on. Verse 12. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, and you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. And this is my favorite word. Again. Again. See, the length of time that they had been under instruction of the New Testament truth, they should have known enough to be teaching it themselves by now. But because they never applied it deep in their souls, they had not grown in it. They couldn't grow in it. They were stuck. Their souls had not grown. And, and so they, they couldn't do the most basic things that we want our children to do. And that is to share. They couldn't share the same gospel treasure with anyone else. Because they had not sat in it themselves. Write this down. Sharing Christ is evidence that you're maturing. You want to know how you're maturing? You're sharing your story. That's your story. You've been hit by a train. I say it all the time. You have a story to tell. You ever been hit by a train? Well, I'm not sure. Now you know you've got a story to tell if you've been rescued by Jesus. Amen. The ability and willingness to share the gospel is a mark that you're maturing in your faith. You just have a hunger and a thirst. You just want to tell it. You want to shine it out there. And the recipients of this letter, they should have been able to share God's truth with others by now. But instead of helping others to grow, they were in need of learning again the simple teaching of the Christian life. That God cares and that, uh, and what he did for them. They were experiencing a second childhood, needing to be reminded of the baby stuff, the binky stuff, over and over and over and over. You know, if you see a toddler playing in the dirt, you're not going to make a big deal of it, right? Because you expect toddlers to play in the dirt. They try to eat the dirt, they pick the dirt up, they put it on themselves, they rub it all over. Because dirt is a toy to a kid. If you find somebody that's 23 and they're eating dirt and they're rubbing dirt on themselves and they're playing with dirt, okay, you got a crazy person on your hands. You need to kind of create some distance slowly from people like that, okay? Because that's an issue. But the only difference is this. The only difference is the time that's between the two. See, by 26... You ought to know the dirt's not a toy. You should know that dirt isn't something you should eat. You should not be having to remind a 26-year-old every week, hey, you want to put that? No, 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 no. You want to put that down now? No, you don't want to eat that. I want to put that in your mouth. Stop it now. I'm going to tell your mama. Wait till your daddy gets home. You know, you don't want to do all that stuff. They should have learned by now. What I want you to know is 
this body of believers can't be just a church that plays in the dirt all the time. Amen? Because as believers, dirt is not where we're supposed to be. We have to move on. And I know that's a punch in the gut. I get it. But the reality is, you should be leading by example by now. At school, at work, on the job site. You should be impacting communities by now. That thing that hurt your feelings, I mean, I know it's real, I get it. But you, you should have gone to that person and tried to make reconciliation by now. You should have been serving in your church by now. That thing that you know that God's going to speak to you about every Sunday, that, that drawing, whatever that thing is, the voice of God is leading you to, you should have been obedient by now. You know what it is. It's the first thing you think about when you get prepared to come to church. Oh, I know the Lord's going to ask me to respond. I'm, I'll catch you next time. Really what I'm saying is, you should have been eating hungry man. Dinner's by now. Let's man up, okay? And the last thing in this text is this. That holds us back is sometimes we like to stay on the milk. Staying on the milk. You got to know what holds you back. Lazy to understand, slow to grow, and still on the milk. That's, that's how he ends this, this block of text right here. In verse 13 it says, Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food, bone in ribeye, it's for the mature. It's for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. See, milk, a lot of people can't handle milk, you know, if you're lactose intolerant, because milk is a pre-digested food. It's suited for babies. Only those who have teeth and a mature palate can enjoy a bone-in, perfectly marbled ribeye steak. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. I got you. Mitchell, my spiritual gift is eating steak, buddy. With hot sauce. Got to put something on it. The meat, though, what, what it's talking about, the meat is described as the work of the Lord in heaven, as our high priest, and takes us as a springboard going forward that's the meat the meat is knowing what our high priest has accomplished in Jesus and letting that springboard us into a greater maturity we all begin the Christian life with ABCs you know admit sin separates us from God believe Jesus is the separation solution and then confess our allegiance step into obedience through baptism okay then, start growing. Then, mature. Then, put in the intentional work to take that next step. Don't just go through the motion. Don't just have that first moment of public profession and stop there. It doesn't just start it, stop here. It starts here. But you know what? All the people that we've baptized here, they're not in there anymore. You're out there. You're moving. You're growing. When I stood at the altar of Shiloh Baptist Church, March the 2nd, almost 20 years ago, and I said, I do, in marriage to Debbie, I could not wait to put this ring on my finger. But it was more than just this ring. This ring was more than just a piece of metal. What this ring symbolized was the life of adventure, building our life together, in mature, maturing together until death do us part. And so this ring doesn't make me married. I can lose it and I'm still married. This ring is a symbol that I am interested in growing in maturity, building a life with a wife of my youth. So after the wedding, you know, we had the reception and uh, we got my little car. I still had on my tux, she had her on her dress, and, and it was raining on Friday night, and there, were, there was tissue, and you know, all the things were on the car, and it was a mess, and we were driving, we had a good distance to where we were going, and so as we went through Covington, right there on the parking lot of Butcher Block, there's a car wash, you know what I'm talking about, and so I pulled in there 
to wash off my car because I couldn't drive hours with tissue all in my way and, and shaving cream. And so, uh, so I get out, you know, real quick, but just let me rinse my car off, you know, because that's a priority in this moment. And so I pulled up, and I put my quarters in the machine, and I get out, and she's in there with her dress, and I spray the car off, you know, and you've only got, what, like 15 seconds on a dollar and a quarter, so you have to hurry. So I spray it off, and I get back in the car, and as I get in to shut the door, I notice a little piece of tissue on the window. And so I grab that tissue as I'm getting in the car, and I went to flick it off. And when I did, my ring shoots off my finger. And I hear this. Ding, 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 ding. It was under the car. You know what's under the car, the car wash? A drain. You know what's under the drain? Gone forever. And so I hear the noise. I freeze. I look at her. She burst out in tears. and She said, I knew this was a bad idea. <laughs> I'm like, bad ideas in car wash for Mary and me. <laughs> and so I'm like, it's going to be okay. So I, 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 get it, I get in and I put it in reverse and I back the car up and I get out. I'm like, Lord, just please, please, Lord, please do something. And I look down and it was like an inch from the drain. And I picked that ring up and I put it back on my finger. And I'm like, man. This could have been bad, but you know what? It wouldn't have ended our marriage. You know what that does for us? It just adds to the adventure. In the words of my kid, oh, Dad, that's just an object lesson. <laughs> that's just a sermon illustration. But you know what? Life is an adventure, but it doesn't start and end at birth. You know what? We, we come out of the baptistry waters. We come out of that birth care center. And you know what? Our parents want us to move on to maturity. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. And so, yeah, we can absolutely learn a lot from the Lord's work on earth. The milk. The simple gospel. I'm not undervaluing the simple gospel. Even mature people drink milk from time to time. I do. I like a good cold glass of milk sometimes. People say, why do you drink milk? You're not a baby. I'm like, you're right, I'm not a baby. But a baby has no idea that a double stuffed Oreo exists. So from time to time, you need a glass of milk, right? But that's not all that we can have. The Bible says we become skillful at eating solid food so our palates get trained to discern between good and evil. We grow up. And when we grow up, we develop a wider love. We develop a greater joy. We develop a deeper peace, a longer patience, tender kindness, more goodness, His gentleness, and a high dose of self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. So the question is, this morning, how long are you going to be on the milk, if you are? How, how long? What, what is enough? A week's worth? A, a month's worth? A year's worth? Ten years? Five years? You know, if you've looked back and you've been a believer for ten years, but there's very little growth, you might need to start booting the binky. A good challenge is, do you know just one piece of scripture for every year you've been a Christian? It's just a challenge. Well, hide God's word in your heart. And so it's time for some people to step back and think, okay, to be the one this year that goes all in for Jesus, I, I need to boot some things. I know why Sadie still likes the light to be left on in the living room. I get it. She's eight. I understand why Emma can't drive. She's 11. I understand why Parker wants to drive my truck because he can't find the keys to his own. Okay, Am I preaching or not? Yeah. But the desire, y'all, here it is. The desire of our Abba Father and the desire of every father, hopefully, is to see that cute, cuddly baby grow up and enjoy a full life as a godly adult. And that's the, God's desire for us. That's our theme verse. It's found in the truth of the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says this. Is it up there? Y'all turn with me to Philippians 2, 13. I know it's right there, but I want you to mark it in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. I'll give you some time to flip there. 
I know that the scripture's on the screen, but I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church because I don't like when you write on the screen. But it's good to take notes from time to time. If God really brings something out of the scripture, circle it, write in, it's okay. This is what Philippians chapter 2 says, talking about maturing in the presence of our Abba Father. It says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, that scapegoat, he's gone back to the Father. So work out your own salvation. Not work to be saved. Based on what you know, grow in maturity. That's what it's talking about. So work it out. Mature your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Knowing that he cares for you. Knowing what he did for you. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purposes. That is a call to spiritual maturity right there. It says work out. Workout's tough. Working out is no fun. It's not an easy solution. There's no quick fixes here. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some perseverance and patience. And there's no better time than right now. Because we aren't guaranteed another chance, another call, another voice of heaven tomorrow. And what you have in front of you is the most powerful agent for change ever created. It's the breath of God. It is the created revelation of our creator to us. And so the message is this. The message is simply, root yourself in what Christ has done. Oh, he cares for you. He cares for you so much that he died for you. Not only did he do that, but he can sympathize with us. You've got to know he cares. You have to know what he did. And you move from there into growing into spiritual maturity. Have a hunger for the word. Don't be lazy in it. Don't be stuck on the milk. And don't be content with milk that's just convenient and easy for someone to have to provide for you again and again and again. So as we grow, as we know, we'll be able to grow and then we'll be able to go with a story to tell and something to share. Because remember, sharing is caring. So for us as Church 213 family, if God's been leading you to do something, respond to it this morning. If he's been calling you to surrender your life to him once and for all, if you've never applied the payment, the ABCs to your account, that is a chance. This is a chance for you to do that this morning. Get it right. You're not guaranteed a chance tomorrow. Don't put it off. And if there's something else that God's been calling you to, 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 calling you to, to step into some more spiritual maturity, do that this morning. Don't leave anything behind. Amen. So let's stand together as we pray. We're going to have a moment of invitation. I'm going to be right here. And I invite you to respond to the call of spiritual maturity bring it to the Father I'm here certainly to pray with you the altar is here if there's something that needs to be uh, um, done in maturity with somebody else in this room this is a great chance it's scary it's different but to step out into maturity and get some things right as we know and grow and go so let's pray together God, I thank you, Lord, for the example of your son. In Luke 2.52, we know that the son grew in maturity. He grew in favor. He grew in stature. He grew in obedience as an example for us, Lord. Yet, while he was born in a manger, he walked out as a mature, perfect high priest out of the tomb. So God, I pray that this morning over the next few minutes, that there would, be, there would be some that would respond to that spiritual maturity. God, if there's someone here that's not saved and sure, they're unsure of where they would spend eternity because of a standard that they can't meet. 
God, I pray that this morning they would lay their life at your feet. They would step out, they would come forward, and they would let that first act of obedience, of public confession, be known. God, work in us this morning. God, help us to step out of the boat, to step into things that are a little deeper. As our, as our faith is, is made stronger in the presence of that that you called us to do. I thank you for using us, Lord, despite of us, for loving us, and for keeping us at the top of your list. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.